Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. We're coming around for another pass on Peter's sermon. Actually, two more passes we'll look at today. Not the content of the sermon so much as the form. What can we learn about Christian preaching from this, the first Christian sermon in the Bible? And then in two weeks for Easter, we will come back to this sermon one final time and look at verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God and how Peter says God's plan handed Jesus over to you and you killed him. That'll be our Easter message in two weeks. Next week I'll be gone and George Corrales will be preaching to you from the Palm Sunday text, Luke 19, the triumphal entry. So, Acts chapter 2. Let's start at verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men, brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption." This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. 
shall I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us to see what good preaching is. Help us to imitate as we preach, to imitate as we listen to preaching, the things that Peter did, the moves that he made in this sermon. Father, we thank you for the many lessons of your word. We pray that you would assist us to heed them. Help us. Help us to listen. Free us from distraction. Fix our minds on the things above, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what does Peter put in this sermon? What are the ingredients? I, I see four major ingredients here. The first one is Scripture. If you read here, you'll see that Peter, or that Luke abridges the sermon radically. We talked about that. Right? This sermon takes around three minutes to read, four minutes to read. And yet, it took Peter most of the day to preach it. So Peter, or Luke has radically abridged the sermon, but what is he not abridged? He hasn't abridged the texts. He quotes the text in full. Often, of course, preachers go the opposite route. I won't read the whole text. I'll spend most of the time telling you my words. We get more sermon, less text. But this has more text, more scripture, less sermon. So scripture is the first ingredient. The second ingredient is Jesus. That's what this scripture, that what this sermon is primarily about. And we looked at that the last two times we were in Acts 2 together. So it's about the, the content. Form is scripture, the content is Jesus, and then the other two ingredients are application and relevance. Scripture, Jesus, application, relevance. So relevance really is the first point. Peter began with the questions his audience was asking. Ajith Fernando points this out in his commentary on Acts, and it's so true. What are they, verse 12, they're saying, What does this mean? Verse 13, they're saying they're full of new wine. Peter gets up and he immediately addresses both of those questions. Here's what it means. We're not drunk. He addresses both questions. Now, all of you have heard bad preaching that does not address the questions the audience is asking. If you're sitting out there wondering, how do I make sense of where my country is at. And I'm up here explaining to you what some theologians in the 17th century thought about superlapsarianism. You're all saying, what does this have to do with the questions I'm asking? Not answering what I want to know. But Peter, and we'll continue to see this with other sermons in Acts, Peter addresses the questions the audience is asking. He starts with that point of relevance. That, in fact, is what preaching is. Taking the scripture, 
and expounding it. That's what preaching is. It's expounding scripture, but expounding it particularly in view of the congregation's questions. Telling you not just what the Bible says, because the Bible says an awful lot of things about a lot of stuff. But the key point is, what does the Bible say to us here in Gillette today? Now, that's why God sends preachers. I didn't send a book of sermons and say, oh, somebody can get up and read this book of sermons, and that'll be the same thing. We need the living voice of Christ to answer the living questions of living people. Right, so whether you're thinking, what's going on in our world? How do I live as a Christian here and now? What about parenting? What about politics? What about a church building? Or whatever question is on your mind, good preaching should address the question the audience is answer, asking. Peter addressed, of course, not just the literal terms of the question. He answered the person, the people who were asking that question. A good answer doesn't just answer the question, it answers the person. That's what Peter's preaching did. And he proceeded then, he begins with the questions they're asking, but he proceeds, and this is of course the bulk of the sermon, by expounding scripture. So right off the bat, he hits them with five verses from Joel chapter 2. He doesn't, in Luke's summary, explain what these verses are. He just quotes them. This is self-evidently a description of what is happening right in front of you. I don't need to explain this at length. You all know, right? He doesn't present empirical research, philosophical theorizing, the distillation of the spirit of the age, expert opinion. That's not what Peter gives them. He gives them the Bible. Here's what the scripture has to say. Here's Joel chapter 2. The Spirit is poured out, so you're not seeing. Young men seeing visions, old men dreaming dreams. Don't worry about that. The key point of the text is that the Spirit came. You heard us speaking in your own language. That's the Spirit. And he goes on to Psalm 16, the second text. And again, he quotes four full verses of Psalm 16. As he explains... And this is the core of the sermon. These psalms, Psalm 16, Psalm 132, Psalm 110, are by David, but they're only secondarily about David. We talked about that last week. This is the core of Peter's message. And of course, this is the core of the New Testament. Namely, the contention that the Old Testament is primarily about Jesus and only secondarily about the historical characters we see in its pages. Now that was a tough sell in the first century, and it's a tough sell today. We like to proceed on the assumption that ancient people were stupid. It's not the case that people in the first century were credulous idiots who would just believe anything that somebody told them. Not at all. Peter, therefore, devotes significant effort to proving that Psalm 16 is primarily about Jesus. He does it by things like appealing to the tomb of David, right? 
Psalm 16 says you won't let your Holy One see corruption, but we got this tomb right here in town in which there is a very rotten corpse of King David. Therefore, Psalm 16 wasn't primarily talking about King David. It's only secondarily talking about him, that he'll rise in the resurrection of his son who is his Lord. Peter similarly explains the other text as we commented last week. Luke has abridged this to the point where following the steps of the argument is a little bit complicated. But the bones of it are there. Peter is expounding scripture in talking about Jesus. He also gives us another lesson by referring to Psalm 132 in passing. Verse 30, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Peter doesn't take the time to explain that text. He simply quotes it and moves on. Good preaching doesn't have to take the time to explain every passage of Scripture that gets quoted. Sometimes the best preaching proceeds simply by quoting a verse and then moving on to the next point. And then Psalm 110. Peter shows us another lesson about preaching and how he uses this psalm. What's his point? David did not ascend into heaven, verse 34. How do we know? Well, because Psalm 110 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, does that verse say, David did not ascend into heaven? Is there anything in Psalm 110 where David explicitly says, By the way, I never went to heaven. Right. No. So what is Peter saying? He's telling us that the implication of the text, when David says, it's my Lord who's at the right hand of God, he's saying, therefore, it's not me. I'm not the one at God's right hand. That's my Lord. That's somebody further up the chain. I read a novel this week in which the deputy national security advisor gets charged with a message for the president, which is a little bit unfortunate because it's the national security advisor who gets to go in and see the president, and the deputy national security advisor doesn't have that privilege. And he actually gets into kind of an awkward scuffle with the national security advisor in front of the door to the Oval Office. Kind of a lame scene, but it's the same idea that The implication of the text, the implication of the Psalm 110 text is that David didn't go to heaven. That was his boss. That was his Lord. Peter preaches the implication of the text as though it too is Scripture. And he's fine with preaching the text as he does in Joel, but he doesn't hesitate to preach the implication of of the text, even when something is not stated on the face of the text. Why? Well, because Scripture is a unit. Each text mutually illuminates the others. They all go together. And what did Peter preach as he expounded Scripture? Well, he preached about Jesus. And he preached about Jesus really in five different Locations. The first is in Scripture, as we just said. Four different texts that Peter quotes. All of them he relates back to Jesus. But second, he preaches about Jesus in everyday life. He 
connects his method, which is expounding scripture, his topic, which is Jesus, to the everyday life of the people in front of him. So, verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. You see Jesus at work. And that's a big part of preaching. Yes, part of preaching is telling you what Jesus did long ago. But part of preaching is also telling you what Jesus is doing now, reminding you of the things you've seen him do in your own life, in your own church, in your own time. That's what Peter does. Not just the Jesus of David's day, but the Jesus of now, the one who poured out the Spirit as you see and hear. The one who went about among you doing good. Verse 22, miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst. Peter preaches Jesus in everyday life. And he also preaches Jesus as related to the Father and the Spirit. He preaches a Trinitarian Jesus, a Jesus who emerges from the context of a relationship with his Father and with his spirit. It starts in verse 17. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit. So right away, at the beginning, Peter announces not just Jesus, but the Father and the Spirit. The Father will pour out the Spirit, and then, of course, he makes the point later on that the Father pours out the Spirit through Jesus. Jesus ascends into heaven. The Father gives him the Spirit. Jesus then pours out that Spirit. Or how about about verses 22 to 24? It's all about the relationship between God's power and Jesus' works. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him. Jesus is not presented as a lone ranger as some great teacher who went around doing good under his own steam. No, he is somebody who came from God, who acted by the power of God to do the work of God in God's world, among God's people. Peter is preaching a Trinitarian Christ. A Christ who came from the Father to do the Father's work, who in fact was handed over by the Father, verse 23, and who was raised by the Father, verse 24. Jesus' works were done by the power of the whole Trinity. Jesus was not on his own. The Passion was a Trinitarian event. The Resurrection was a Trinitarian event. The Ascension, a Trinitarian event event. (coughs) He's exalted to the right hand of the Father. Verse 33, he's received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Preaching which is non-Trinitarian is bad preaching. Preaching which does not relate Jesus to his Father and his Spirit is not the kind of preaching the apostles did. Peter insists throughout, not just that one or two places, it's not tacked on at the end, it's not mentioned in passing at the beginning, no, it's from beginning to end, this sermon 
is about Jesus and his relationship to his Father and his Spirit. Any preaching that only speaks of the Son and fails to mention the Father and the Spirit, that fails to tie Christ to his Father and his Spirit, is defective, non-apostolic preaching. But Peter didn't just preach Jesus in terms of Scripture, everyday life, and the Trinity. He also preached Jesus in terms of his offices. And there's three in particular that he calls out. The first office is Savior. Verse 21, it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Why does he juxtapose, we talked about this at length, why does he juxtapose calling on the name of the Lord to be saved with Jesus of Nazareth? Well, he's making the point. This is the Lord on whom you must call. This is the Lord who saves. It's Jesus of Nazareth. That's the Lord. Call on him, he saves. He is Savior. And, of course, then he winds up the sermon. The final point is two other offices of Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified, God made him both Lord and Christ. That's the climax of the sermon, to preach Christ in his office as Lord. How much does Peter say in this sermon about the forgiveness of sins? Anybody pick that up? Right, not one word. Not what the apostolic proclamation leads with. Men of Israel, y'all are a bunch of sinners. And you need forgiveness. Right, that is definitely part of the Christian message. And Peter gets there after the end of the sermon. But he doesn't lead with that. He brings the sermon to this climactic point that Jesus is Lord. Because the Lordship is the source of the salvation. Not vice versa. The climax of the sermon is not, and you can have your sins forgiven. No, the climax of the sermon is God made Jesus Lord. God put him in charge. He's the boss. You obey him. He's the master. You follow him. He is the Jehovah God, Yahweh from the Old Testament, the creator of heaven and earth. You owe him everything. That's the message. God made him Lord. He preaches Christ Yes, as Savior, call on Him and be saved. But also, as Lord. The one who rightly rules. The one who rightly tells you what to do. And then the final title, the climax on which he ends the sermon, (coughs) is the Messianic title, Christ. The Anointed One. Now, he had already mentioned that as well in verse 30. He would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. David knew that God would do that. So the Messiah is a title that Peter has already been preaching about, but he ends with that same title. Why is that important? Jesus is the anointed one. The one set apart by God to save the world. That's what anointed one means. There's nothing unofficial about Jesus of Nazareth. 
No, he is the official savior of the entire cosmos. So again, relating that to preaching, preaching must preach Jesus in his offices. If you know that Jesus was a man, but not that he's the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, then you don't know what you need to know about him. It's the old question, do you know who I am? Jesus, of course, even asked his disciples that. Who do people think I am? Well, good preaching will tell you he's Messiah. He's Savior. He's Lord. Finally, Peter preached about Jesus in history. He was the descendant of David. God had sworn with an oath to David that of the fruit of his body he would raise up the Christ and so on. Jesus is not somebody who appeared out of Nowhere. He is a scion of the royal tribe of Judah. He's historically anchored in a particular time, place, tribe, and even family. He's not a free-floating spiritual idea. Peter was sure to preach that. The historical side of Jesus, the historical side of the faith, as well as the philosophical, metaphysical side of the faith. Yes, Jesus is official, but also Jesus is historical. He preaches him as one who lived among the audience. Jesus of Nazareth, God did these things through him in your midst. And again, good preaching to this day still does that. Now, if you're street preaching to people who are likely not believers, You can't address them as much in terms of you've seen God do these things. But if you're preaching to the same congregation week by week, you know that Christ is at work in their life. And you better be addressing them in terms of you know Jesus. You've seen him at work in your midst. You understand that Christ is living and active in this church this week. That's what Peter preached. That's what preaching continues to do. And then finally, of course, Peter mentions the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ at length. An ahistorical sermon, a sermon that doesn't mention those things, is a bad sermon. A sermon that doesn't have any historical reference to Jesus, who he is, who he was, who he continues to be, is not a sermon such as the apostles preach. Well, finally, Peter applied all this to his audience. Now, there's a reason this sermon took the entire afternoon. Well, the entire morning and most of the afternoon. It's because he did so much. He covered so much. But, as you can see, he applies each point to the audience. You're seeing what was spoken by Joel. Then he tells him what Joel said. And then verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus was in your midst, right? Everything consistently comes back to the audience. He doesn't leave the audience and go off on some flight of fancy that's unconnected to anything they know or have had dealings with. He applies it to them. right? I can tell you all kinds of stuff 
that might even be interesting. But if it has nothing to do with you, where you live, how you're going to live this week, what's going on in your life, then it's not apostolic preaching. It might be a great lecture, might be entertaining, might be informative. Not preaching. So, of course, how do we apply this to ourselves? Most of us aren't preachers, but if you're a preacher, preach like this. If you're not a preacher, demand preaching like this. That is, don't settle for or encourage non-apostolic preaching. Don't say, well, that was so uplifting, I don't really care if it was like what I see in the book of Acts. Or, that tickled my theological fancy so much that I don't really care if it was apostolic preaching. Right? Maybe it hits one or more of your hobby horses. That really shouldn't matter. Let that go. The point is not whether the preacher mentioned your favorite doctrine or blasted your least favorite politician, or picked a text that you really enjoy, or had great hair, or a perfect tie, or didn't wear a tie. That's not the issue. The issue should be, as you search for preaching, is it like the apostolic preaching? That is, is the topic Jesus, and is the method the exposition of Scripture. That's what we're looking for. I've heard plenty of preaching where the topic is not Jesus, and the method is not expounding Scripture. Probably most of you have too. That's not apostolic preaching. Don't listen to that stuff. Above all, you know, whether you're a preacher or whether you're a listener to preaching, take to heart what you hear. Beware how you hear, as our Lord put it. Preach and listen, either one, so that you get to know the subject of preaching. Jesus of Nazareth, Savior, Lord, Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the apostolic preaching about Jesus of Nazareth, your Son, the dispenser of your spirit, the one whom you anointed to save the world, the one whom you made to be Lord over life, <coughs> death, the cosmos, all creation. Father, we praise you for this apostolic preaching. We ask that you would help us not to settle for less, not to get stuck on our own hobby horses, whether preacher, as preachers, or as listeners. Father, help us to pay attention to what's in your word and to demand and to pray for and to support and above all to heed preaching whose topic is Jesus and whose method is biblical exposition. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, whom you have made to be Lord and Messiah. Amen.